Yeah. Okay. Good. That should that should that should be better. That should okay. Be better. Good. How how I'm how hardwired. It, I'm hardwired either way. So the yeah, you've fine. got a you've got a really crisp connection. Yeah, well, it's hardwired right into the internet, right, right into the, the router. Yeah, that's that's what we've got over here too. They say we've got the best the best internet in uh, in Bali. I just, I'm not I'm not the tech I'm not the tech guy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just the personality well, over here. Go to fast.com and test the speed. I do. I'll tech it. I'll test it. What do I go to? Fast.com. Fast.com and just upload the malware, right? No, you just it just it measures your your speed right right on the spot. Okay, I am at twenty three Mbps, twenty five. It'll be it'll go up. Twenty six. Yeah, it'll go up. Give it what, a second. No, I'm at twenty six. I'm at four thirty. <laughs> that sounds like a lot. <laughs> it is four thirty. Sounds like a time, yeah. not an MB, not a, not a, not a megabyte <laughs> speed. Um, what, what are you drinking on? Coffee. Yeah, that's a good it's one. It's a brand, brand logo, Humble Alpha. Did you ever see, I published a book actually that had a similar logo to that. Yeah, that's H-A, Humble Alpha. Yeah, that looks good. Um, yeah. All right, well, I guess I should formally uh, welcome you to... Uh, to the show. Welcome, welcome to Real Talk Stories, uh, live Thank in you. Bali, where everyone's got a story. Uh, our guest today, um, you can give yourself a shout out, or we can remain anonymous. Uh, I know we were talking a little bit pre-show about how I do everything anonymously. You're welcome to introduce yourself if you like, or I'll just say hey, I'm an American um, uh, who lives in Europe, who served in the military, the U.S. Army got out and now I've lived in nine countries and enjoy traveling around and um, I'm very aware of the world around me. I, I thought the military was like was like the mafia. It's like once you're in, you never you never fully <laughs> Well it it is in a way, but it's, it's more like a the blood part, the blood brother part of the mafia. You know, once you're in it's it's in you. It's like a it's like a vaccine. Yeah. You know, it's really hard uh, I don't know if I'd want to get rid of it, but it's really hard to get out of that mindset. It takes a few years Typically, that has to do with the purpose in life, because when you're a soldier, an airman, a marine or whatever, you're so embedded in that culture um, and you're always there for the person beside you on your left and your right, whether you like them or not. So that's that unbiased, giving all purpose, bigger mission, you know, ready to risk your life. When you get out of the military, it just completely disappears. So it's like, what is the deal? Like, what am I doing with my life? So it's basically a vaccine for weakness. Um, you know, I don't know if it's, it's, it's basically a vaccine to become one, you know, it's, uh, and you depend on the other people just like they depend on you. So there's no question about it. You do what you're supposed to do, period. If, 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 if my sergeant or my captain says duck, I don't ask because that could mean my death. So duck, boom, down, you know, and, and in the, in the civilian world, it's like duck, what do you mean duck? What do you mean? Boom, it's gone. <laughs> Let's have political <laughs> discourse about it. Yeah. Who are you telling? Who what, are you telling? Uh... Yeah. If you were just a just real, you know, real, real simply state what 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 you find found the the top let's say top three I like to do a top three most valuable lessons were during your time in the service, what what would they be? I think the first one would be um, 
I'm figuring out in boot camp that the only thing that, that held me back during my younger years, I was 19 when I went to boot camp, uh, things that held me back in the younger years wasn't the people what they thought of me because I wasn't, I was chubby because I was weak. It was because of my mind. Uh, I think that's the most important thing that I learned. Once I learned that, and I did that physically, um, I was, I was against a physical barrier that I couldn't get over in the obstacle course. And I, I couldn't, I couldn't get over it. I couldn't get over this wall, no matter what I did. And then the drill sergeant threw me down in the mud with his foot in the back of my neck and was calling me all kinds of names. And I just basically lost it, jumped up and flew over that wall with zero effort. Um, and I, and I landed on the other side. I was like, Whoa, what the hell was that? Like angels came. And I was like, my God, that was me the whole time. That was my me the whole time telling me I couldn't do it. What the hell? You know? So, uh, that was probably the biggest one. Second one is, is that selfless, um, dedication and testament fortitude to get the job done no matter what and that no isn't even an option that there's always a solution that there's always a way and that, that the fact that i don't need to know the answer is key i, I just need to know somebody who knows the answer you know so people pe you know people go into situations going like man i, I need to solve this problem I, I don't know the answer what am i going to do if they ask me a question or you know don't worry about it you know someone who does or find someone who does ask somebody you know and three and three, I don't know. I think I think it's the giving the benefit of the doubt to everyone around you. Everyone lives in their own little world, and we don't see that world, you know. Um, so you always give them the benefit of the doubt, especially in the, in the military where people have down days. You know, you're away from home, you're deployed. I was in Iraq, you know, and and people are just in a bad mood. It doesn't mean that's who they are. That means how they're that's how they're acting at the moment. So giving people that sort of wider breadth to to be able to to correct their course of action without reprimanding them or, you know, getting mad at them or saying, why are you acting like that? Sounds, sounds fair enough. Um, back, back to one, you said you were out of shape in boot camp Cause I, those out there that don't know you, you are extremely in shape. I mean, yeah. you are yeah. extremely built now. Yeah. Yeah. So, Apparently, a lot's changed since you were uh, 19 years old and in boot camp. Yeah, because... yeah. Well, I'm 53 now. Um, I got in shape in the army. Before the army, I played every sport in high school. So I played baseball. I tried basketball. I tried wrestling. I played football, and I sucked at every single one of them. I mean, I was so bad. So, and I didn't really train like I was supposed to. I didn't eat like I was supposed to back then. In the 80s, early 80s, there wasn't like this big nutrition kick or anything. You just ate to gain weight, to be heavy, to play football, or you just ate to get, you know. And because I had no self-esteem and no self-belief, I was never good. And because I was never good, I, I never thought that I could get better. So I didn't try. Then I went in the military and found out. And since then, I've been, you know, training since I was 14, sort of half-heartedly. But when I got in the, in the military, I've been training since then. So, you know, it's it's been, you know, probably 35 years, 36 years since I've been training. So a lot of discipline, a lot of dedication. Well, yeah, it's, it, it has to do with routines. You know, I mean, every, everyone everyone wants to change something, but they're not willing to change or change the routines. You can't change a routine without, without forming habit. Every, everybody yeah. wants to everybody wants to change something without having to change anything. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> I want I want I want a different result with the same actions. Yeah, that uh, yeah. people say that's the de definition of crazy. I don't know if that's technically the definition of crazy or if that's just like an old wife's tale, urban legend. But Probably people, an urban legend. Is yeah. there, you know what I'm talking about though? They say the definition of yeah. insanity is doing the same doing thing. Doing the same thing, expecting a different result is a, is a definition of insanity. Yeah, it's it's not the definition of insanity. It's that's, definitely a fail. That's urban myth, right? Yeah. Um, so you said you were in in Iraq, 
shortly after after boot camp. Yeah. Yeah, I, I went over um, with um, the Calvary unit. What's that mean? Oh, it's um, there's different units in the army. So you have tanks, you have uh, Bradley fighting vehicles, you have infantry, you have air air helicopters and stuff. I was on the ground. I thought so cavalry was, was horses, or is that? Well, they were in the day. Basically, the difference between a cavalry unit and an armored unit is cavalry has one company of tanks, one company of scouts, one company of Bradleys, one company of artillery, that kind of stuff. And an armor unit has four companies of just uh, just tanks. So we were like, we could fight our own battles because we yeah, had everything. Yeah, you're more versatile. Yeah. So, but you know, we still have the cross swords. I got the tattoo and all that stuff. <laughs> you know, and uh, the um, that when I went over there. I was scared shitless, of course, and but I was illusioned. My illusion was that I was doing the right thing, that we were saving freedom and fighting for democracy, and you know, and helping the world and stuff like that. And to, until I got over there and saw all the damage we did, uh, I saw all the civilians. I met little girls and little boys and wives and fathers on their knees begging us, you know, to help them, and we couldn't because they weren't prisoners of war, so we couldn't help any civilians unless we just gave them a little bit of food and sent them on their way. Um, how we allowed. Uh, one, you know, the bath, the, the bath party to demolish and burn Basra after we told them, after our president told them to um, uh, to stage an uprising against Saddam, and we would help them. And then when they did it, we didn't help them, so we had to watch as they got massacred. So that completely changed my opinion about our foreign interventions. You know, that we have. You know, who massacred them? The bar, the bath party. This is the Saddam Shiites. Um, they. The, I mean, sorry, the, the Sunnis from Saddam massacred the Shiites in Basra. Because after we had a ceasefire, we were about 200 kilometers into Iraq. And President Bush said to, um, I don't know, the leaders of uh, the Shiites said, look, start an uprising in Basra because Basra was a Shiite, you know, um, hotbed. And they started fighting against the Ba'ath Party, the Republican Guard, the Iraqi army. And we were supposed to come in and support them. And we, they told us to stand down. And we were literally, we could see the city. So we watched everybody get massacred. And, 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 and you easily had, between your cavalry and probably, there's probably an armor, armor, armor battalion there. You, you, you guys could have easily gone in there and defended the... the we would have wiped them the out. The Shiites. We would have wiped, wiped, wiped them out in a day or two easily. I mean, we did fight. We, we fought for 45 hours and they were done. And we were, you know, we were. Uh, one and this division. is against this is against the Sunni, the 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 Sunni ruling party. The Sunni, they were the ruling party, but they were not the majority. Is that true? That exactly. The Shiites had yeah. more numbers, but the Sunnis yeah. had more political connections and therefore more power. The Ba'ath Party. The Ba'ath Party. Yeah. Yeah. Um. What? You know, I was talking about this. I forgot with who the other day. Other than patriotism, what do you think is the reason a leader can send people to war? I was talking to someone from Ukraine about this, actually, someone from Kiev, <clears throat> about the uh, the revolution in, in, in 2014 over there. Uh, yeah. What, you know, we were talking about how, like, how illogical it is that uh, a leader, regardless of the leader, is able to like convince a you know a, a a certain demographic or certain population of a of a of a society 
to fly to the other side of the world or just, you know, fly right next door, just travel wherever and kill people they've never met. Yeah. Well, that's because you're coming at it from a view of I'm a civilian and now I'm a soldier. Now, you remember when you go through boot camp, boot camp isn't just physical and mental. It's psychological. I mean, they tear you down to the smallest portion of what you could be. I mean, I was laying on the ground crying. And that's how far that's how far they had me. And then they build you up as a machine. And that machine has many moving parts. And all those other pieces of, of the machine are the same as you. So you believe wholeheartedly and fully that you're doing the right thing. Number one. Number two is once you realize that maybe you're not doing the right thing, you're 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 so vested in that effort, so vested in your career in the military, in the army, you, you get a retirement after 20 years. So a lot of people stay in and they're dis disenfranchised, but they stay in because, hey, that's my career. Just like police officers now who don't agree with lockdowns or whatever, but they're enforcing it because they'll lose their pension if they don't. You know, it's like it's like, what do you where, where do you draw that line? Me, I drew the line uh, where I, I met a little girl in the desert who was burned from head to toe and I helped her get bandaged up and then I had to send her back out to the desert, you know, uh -huh. and she was like eight years old and I was, I was heartbroken, you know, and I got down on my knee and I, and I, what are you going to do? You know? So I gave her a piece of butterscotch candy that my aunt was sending me and stuff and she smiled, you know, and I was like, wait a second, there's a little girl lost everything in the middle of the desert, her city's burning and she smiles about a piece of candy. God, you know? And it was just like, what in the hell kind of a life am I living? What am I doing to people, you know? And of course, I can't take a collective responsibility for the entire military. I understand to a certain point, um, you know, you, get, you, you have a vested interest, you stay in there, but the people above the military, I think it has to do with their ability to uh, make themselves believe that they're in control of something or they have to control something or they have to save the world or whatever. And then above that, they're just evil. <laughs> Sorry. So you, think, <laughs> you think there's like two tiers? There's like the one that are like self-righteous. Uh, the third, so the, the 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 lowest tier of command would be me, soldiers, and Airmen. then and then the second second lowest or second highest, however you want to say, career officer. They, they believe they're officer. for for the greater good and for the uh, the the betterment of the world and world peace. And then you think and it's more about them. It's more about them because they're getting their third star, or they're getting their you know tenth stripe or whatever. And then and so it's about them. And then just above that level, you'd say it's just pure evil or what? Yeah, well, the generals and stuff, they, they, they work directly with politicians, so that's almost one level. But above that, it's just pure evil. Excuse me, but that's just the way I feel. And you would say that's international. That's not, I mean, let's, yeah. not, single, let's not single out the states here. I mean. Oh, it's international. Anybody, especially those that were never in the military. Now, you're, you're talking about how can someone tell me you, – you could never imagine someone telling you to, to, to go kill somebody, right? Because you don't have the training. You weren't indoctrinated. Right. Like I would, I would kill somebody if they were immediately threatening myself course. or the people I love in my home. Right. But if you're a politician or you're someone like, I don't know, who's never seen a day of work in his life like Macron or – Yeah, a bureaucrat. Uh, you know, yeah, or Justin Trudeau or something like that. And he sends people to war. He's just evil. Sorry, it's just evil. Or he's under pressure from people even higher above him. Who knows? And he doesn't but understand it, what what that fire is. Right. Exactly. Exactly the point. And you know, it's uh, it's 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 hard for me to say that. It's not hard for me to say that. But you got to realize, I'm still a patriot. I still love my country. I still love the troops that I served with. I would never do anything different, except except if I could take that part of the war out, I would. 
but it actually made me who I am, made me successful, made me um, impenetrable, impenetrable, unstoppable. You know what I mean? So it's like, it's, it's hard to separate the good from the bad, the positive from the negative. It really is because I, you know, I charge through walls if I have to. Yeah. Well, good, good and bad is a, is a very loosely defined term based on your perspectives, right? Like yeah. different people think different things are good and different things are bad. So it's, yeah, it's, I mean, it's it is your perspective. It's all relative, right? Yeah, so, yeah I mean, completely. The problem is you got to be honest with yourself. And most people aren't honest. With you. Even in everyday life, they're not honest with themselves. They tell, they tell themselves excuses and lies and all kinds yeah, of stuff. Yeah, well, it's a lot easier to avoid things often. Um, yeah. It's You could sort of relate it to say, uh, have, you ever, have you ever gotten a staph infection? Yeah. In the army, plenty of times. Yeah, totally. Me too. So, yeah. a staph infection. When you initially get it, you're like, oh, it's just a scrape, right? It's just a, it's just a little, it's just a little flesh wound. No big deal. I don't want to deal with it right now. I'm busy. Yeah. And then a couple days go by, and it starts to get bigger and a little more itchy, and you're like, hey, you know, I, I let's just put some ointment on it, cover it up, you know, wrap it up. I'll, 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 I'll get to it a, a few days later. And you, you, you keep putting it off. The problem with that is if you put it off too long, it can go into your bloodstream, infect your whole body, and you can die or have to get your, you know, something amputated. So this is symbolic of sort of people, individuals facing their own truth and their own realities. And I think often people want to sort of avoid accountability and just go on their daily life. The problem with that is you can't avoid forever. Eventually they've got to have their moment of truth and they've got to be confronted by themselves. Yeah, exactly. And only you can confront yourself. So you won't, it's like when someone asks for a, a, a relationship advice when they're in a bad relationship, you can tell them all you want. They're not going to listen to you. Yeah, people have to people have to come to realizations yeah. on their own. So what was your what when was it? I mean, did you did you do how many tours did you do? And then did you did you quit or were you honorably discharged or what what yeah. ha, what was the situation there? Did you like? Um, I, did one, I, I did eight years in mil, almost eight years in military. I did uh, my whole. I did all of my years in Europe. So I was stationed in Germany. And, and but then you were deployed. Places. You were stationed in Germany, but then deployed to Iraq. From Germany to Iraq, yes. Yeah. So I did one tour, six months. Um, and I got. I, I when I came back, I said I'm done. So I got an early out. At the time, it was the mid '90s. Sorry, early '90s, and they were offering bonuses to get out because there was too many soldiers. Yeah. Really, people were. Yeah. People were. Raring to go kill, huh? Yeah. So, uh, well, it was a career army. Remember that. We hadn't had a war since Vietnam. And you remember the biggest marketing machine in America is the military. You know, it's like Kevin Crawley, a man. You know, it's like that kind of, you know, like, hoorah. Oh, you know, they're, they're great. Movie. All the movies and everything. Yeah. yeah. You know, and when those, more, yeah, and when those, when those, in the morning, most people do all day, you know. And when those, when those towers were hit, it was just like, let's go. Like, fuck yeah, this. So I'm ready. Get out. They offered bonuses to get out, and I got out, um, and uh, I did what they call a European out, and I, I didn't go home. I stayed in Europe. I got out and just lived in Germany. Um, on a, really on a base? or? No, no, no. I was a civilian. Like, I literally was in my uniform, checked out, walked off base. I was a civilian. And it was like zero. I had a rucksack and a duffel bag. And I had an alarm clock that looked, looked, looked like a soldier. I, I remember this clearly because it was in my duffel bag. 
I threw it to the floor, and at night I'm waking up to this this alarm. It played trumpet like Reveille, you know. And I was like, "What the hell is that?" I just got out of the army. What is going on? Like I thought my I was going crazy, but it was my alarm clock in my in my back. Was uh, and your your moment of truth was when you found that little girl in the desert. Yeah. And you're like, this is ridiculous. There was three things there that happened. Um, first, I saw so I'm walking through. What happens when you when you have a battle, you then you then comb the battlefield for survivors, right? And we're walking through the battlefield, and uh, I, I I see something glimmering, like in on the left of me, and I look down, and it was uh, an Iraqi soldier who had fallen, and his ring was glittering in the sun, like his wedding band. I don't know what it was, but I imagined it was a wedding band, and in that moment, I literally saw, like literally. Clear as day, I saw his wife and kids waiting for him. You know, and I, and and it turned to me and said, "Holy shit!" You know, my family's waiting for me. You know, that could be me right there. And it was very emotional. But of course, as a hard charger, you push it down and move on. And then I'm moving on, and um, we get in the in the jeeps. We drive. This is the same day. Yeah, yeah, we get in the jeeps. We drive a little further. They go, "Okay, stop. Let's comb this part." I get out and I step on what I thought was a rock and like sort of fell. And I looked down and it was a, a boot with the toe ripped off and a foot still in it. Like yeah. a detached foot? Yeah. So it was like toes sticking out of the, of the front of the boot and no ankle. It was just like the foot inside the boot. And I was like, oh my, what the, I mean, it was so close to home, you know, but again, you push it down. And then I went to the checkpoint where we were, we were um, checking trucks going back and forth between Iraq and Kuwait. And that's when I met the little girl and I said, I'm fucking done, man. What the fuck are we doing here? And then of course you have the mothers come and the, the, the kids and we had this family um, staying in like an old powerhouse. So we had a no, we had a buffer zone. So we were 200 kilometers into Iraq on the border of Kuwait. So there was a 200 kilometer zone between the border of Kuwait and us. So anybody who wanted to get into Iraq, the 200 kilometer zone, they had to go through us. Go get into Iraq or get into Kuwait? Get into Kuwait. Yeah, yeah. They, they couldn't go to the border. We were too. The, we had checkpoints 200 kilometers from the border. Yeah. So to get to get, to get into Kuwait, even if they had all the proper docks to begin in Kuwait, they right. still had to pass the U.S. checkpoint. Right. So um, there was a, like an old bombed out powerhouse there, like a transformer house, and there was a family living there: two guys and like four four kids and two women. You, Iraqi or? Yeah, Iraqi, Iraqi. They were just like camped out. They didn't want to go to Basra because it was getting bombed, and they couldn't go anywhere to Kuwait because they were Iraqi, so they were stuck in the middle. And they thought, well, it's safer here than it is with, you know, with uh, Saddam's troops. So, you know, I said we, we weren't allowed to feed them. So I would like sneak out at night and bring them food, right, from like leftovers and stuff. We didn't have any food. We had we had MREs or we call them meals ready to eat, these classic foods. And then we would get shipments of of cans of papaya juice, which which were as thick as toothpaste because it was hot as hell. Uh, and then we had potato chips, which I thought was the weirdest thing in the middle of the desert. But that's all we had. So we that does had not sound like that does not no. sound like uh, no. the breakfast of champions. No, no, no. no. Stone to a balanced diet. You know, I was in the front lines, so we was in the front lines. We didn't have supply. We didn't have uniforms. Our uniforms were worn to the bone. We couldn't get new ones. Uh, it, we were moving so quick. So, 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 so one second. So these people are living in there, and I'm bringing them food. Right, I'm giving them food every every night. And then I go in one time into this shack, and they. Have this one room in the back stacked to the ceiling with boxes of potato chips and, and, and the rations that we were giving them. So I wasn't the only one sneaking out feeding them, you know, so that was like really cool. Like, yeah. 
They, they, they literally could have opened a store. <laughs> they, they might have. <laughs> what? So, um, there, so there's no. So there was no. There was no base camp. No, we moved every day. Oh, that's why it was all MREs. Yeah, we moved, dug a hole for a fighting position, dug a hole for a sleeping position, camped out for about two or three hours, got up, filled in the holes, moved on, did it again. But there was it. there was a four there was a a, a forward facing uh, perimeter, two hundred yards well, from the border of Kuwait. So wasn't a perimeter. Wasn't a perimeter. It was us just patrolling with our tanks and Bradleys and stuff like that. So it was a there loose. It was like a loose board, a loose fluid border. Yeah. Well, there was bases, but that was for like support troops, um, you know, administration, uh, tactical operations center. But we as troops, we moved every day. All right. And that border that was being patrolled would 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 move with you, so to say, because it was like a, well, we was, it was like a roving checkpoint. We, yeah, we'd be along. Well, we had highways blocked, of course. And then in between that, we just rode back and forth in between the highways and in the desert and stuff. I mean, it was like flat desert as far as you could see. I mean, you could see the enemy coming as far as you and could see. And you weren't really concerned about individual infiltrators as much as like no. uh, battalions or or or, no. or, 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 rogue squads of soldiers trying to, no. to get to Iraq. To, yeah, to the, guys, the guys that we captured, you know, they told us like, when are you going to kill us? And we're like, well, what do you mean? Well, Saddam said is. If we get captured, you're going to kill us. I'm like, no, I'm going to feed you. I'm going to send you back to the back so you can be safe. You have a place that you crash. You can hang out, you know. Sounds chill. Sounds yeah. great. <laughs> no big deal. They're like, thank you. And it was, you know, because we, we picked up 500 uh, along our lines, five 500 prisoners a day because they, they would surrender. They're like, fuck this. Yeah. Like this is, yeah. And, and, and probably... One guy was wearing civilian clothes. I'm like, what are you doing? He was spoke perfect English. He said, dude, I was a student at Dickinson College in America, and I came home from vacation. The war broke out, and they sent me to war. Saddam sent him to war? Yeah. And he's like, dude, I was in the desert hiding my ass off. I was in college in America. What the hell am I doing here? It was, it was like crazy. Yeah. And you're and you're like, uh, how, how's your Arabic? All right. Well, we'll uh, we'll we'll pay you double whatever Saddam's paying you. Well, we had we had actually. Well, they weren't paid. Um, we had. They were they um, were paid, right? These guys weren't. These were conscripts. They were like, go. Um, they just showed up and go out there. But there was. Um, we did use Kuwaitis as paid translators at every checkpoint, and they were dressed in American military uniforms, wearing sergeant's rank. <laughs> Quite yeah. the, that's quite the promotion. They didn't even have to go to boot camp for that one, huh? I know. I was like, damn. You know, I spent five, what, almost five years in the military to get started. Yeah. <laughs> so how how do we know that we even caught Saddam? Because he had he had two body doubles, right? Yeah. So when he was found in that, what do you want to call it, foxhole? No, it was a it was a pit. Were yeah. you were you active duty at that point, or were you already back no, in Germany? No, no, no. I was already out in Germany. But I mean, I'm sure you heard the word from from, well, from fellow I mean, soldiers. Judging, judging from the court cases and the live testimony, it was it was him. You could tell the way he was talking, the way he was. It was him for sure, 100. percent Now, if they hung him directly or one of his body, who knows? I don't even know. But I, it was definitely him that was in the court courtroom. Because he was, he was talking about himself in third, talking about himself in, in, in the third person. You know, he did that all the time. He was because he was just. He was just in a little, a little foxhole or something, right? In a little well, sewer or he something. He was literally a cement-enforced pit with a lid on it. He just like hung out down there. 
Yeah. Can Rome now you gotta remember, you gotta remember during the six year war between Iran and Iraq, um, we supplied Saddam with everything. Yeah, that's what I don't get. That's what that's 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 what kind of what I was about, leading into. It's not about freedom and democracy. It's all bullshit. It's about power, money, leverage. That's what it's about. I mean, we went into the, some of his some of his bunkers. We found our own MREs, our own rations that, that they had from the from the six, six six year war. Like we found our weapons, our grenades, everything. Like it, you know, some U.S. Uni- cool. some uniforms. No, no, no. I'm just kidding about the but probably a lot of U.S. dollars. Um, well, I found a lot of, you know, we found a lot of safes, which we, uh, turned in. No, <laughs> we, uh, we took, we, we ran tanks over these things, trying to break them open, man. And I found a big wad of money one time. So I, I have two, two 20 dinar bills with Saddam's picture on it. Oh, wait. So it was, it was, it was Iraqi dinar or it was U.S. dollar? Yeah, dinar. But he probably had a huge stash of dinar. You gotta realize we I was I wasn't in any city. We were out in the desert in bunkers fighting in the open space. We we never did, you know, house to house anywhere in, in Iraq. And you still found a ton of safes? Well, there was bunkers everywhere. I mean, there was bunkers, their whole defensive line was bunkers. We and got that, hit. I mean, we got hit. They would pop up with RPGs and shoot us and go back down and up and down and up and down all over the place. It was like it was like that that groundhog game you play with the kids to knock the kids and everywhere you look, there was heads popping up shooting at you. Did they, did they have, uh, did they have, um, did they have tunnels? Like did, were, did the bunkers, were the bunkers connected, uh, subterranean? Not, not, not like Vietnam, no, but there was a few that were connected. Or Afghanistan. Nothing like, nothing like. No, because it's a flat desert. There was not, at least where we were, there weren't any mountains or anything. It was just a flat desert. Yeah, but you can still burrow, you can still burrow through a flat desert. I didn't see any, I didn't see. I saw one like huge room. I mean, it was was like two stories high. Subterranean? Yeah, and it was like you could walk through to another part of it, which was like a little, I wouldn't say tunnel, but almost like a hallway. But but those were all, those were all, those were all uh, completely isolated. None of those connected to any additional bunkers? Yeah, there was a few that were connected, like one or two on each side, but that was it. They weren't yeah, connected yeah. like rows, rows, rows. I mean, I remember going in and capturing, you know, going into a because uh, I saw a bunker. Uh, what they do is they take a blanket, so they dig a hole in the ground and put like a ramp into the ground from behind where we were coming, so we wouldn't see it. And then they put a blanket over it, and the sand would blow over it, and would look like just a bump in the sand. And I saw it, and I was like, oh, because oh. I went to go to the bathroom, and I, I walked like twenty, you know, twenty meters, thirty meters out, and uh, I was like, oh shit, man. Oh my God, this is my chance. You know, I'm going to capture somebody or whatever. You know, this is when, before the worst, before we actually had con- uh, con- contact, we were already in Iraq before we had contact. And so like I kicked the door away or that blanket away and I battle rolled in with my M16, right? Not thinking that it was bright as hell outside and pitch black on the inside, right? So I rolled down and I hit something and it knocked over and I could smell the kerosene or whatever it was all over my uniform. And I'm, I'm yelling, Keith, Keith, which means halt. And when my eyes adjusted, I was literally facing the wall, and behind me was the bunker. <laughs> and it, it was. Thank, a, God, thank God there was no one in there, man. I mean, they shot me in the back, man. I had like no chance. Was what there was there anything in there at all? Oh yeah, their entire life was in there. And there they was had, four foot lockers, beds, and, um, cigarettes. We found like six cartons of cigarettes. And that um, in that uh, one bunker. Yeah, yeah, uniforms, and there was like four people that, that slept in there. So what, they had just abandoned it hastily yeah. and just got the yeah. heck out of Dodge? Yeah. And it was bunkers like this that you guys would find safes in? This yeah. style bunker? Yeah. So, 
I guess I don't see what really changed from the Iraq war. And one of my major concerns uh, with the new administration going in in the States is that they're picking a lot of national defense individuals who were on committees and in positions of power during the invasion of Iraq, where the outgoing administration, as much of a disaster as the outgoing administration may, may have been and be on certain domestic issues, from an international from a, from an international sort of uh, theater of war perspective, um, you know, Trump was a peacenik, you know, yeah. and it just seems like one of my concerns is that the administration that's going into power now, the Biden administration, is putting a lot of people in power who were in power during the Iraq invasion, as yeah. well as uh, the progression of the uh, Afghani invasion. Yeah. And well, it's the industrial, the military industrial complex, and that's what they're fed by. That's where all this money comes from. And, you know, if everyone says, you know, um, uh, Obama was like a peaceful president, he started more wars than any president before him, and he dropped more bombs than any president before him. So, I mean, this, 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 guy, this guy ramped up war in the world like nobody's business. Oh, and Obama, more so than Bush. Oh, he did double the bombs when Bush dropped. I thought his, his, the, I thought those bombs are that were uh, were were precision drone strikes though. It wasn't. No, he did those too. He did those too. But you got to remember what was going on at that time. I mean, everywhere you go, um, you know, and and they had a weird policy too because I had friends that were over there and they weren't allowed to shoot certain areas, certain troops, even though if they were ISIS or not, they were not shoot. You know, it was like, what the hell is going on here? Soldiers were very very frustrated. What the hell is going on? Because you know, as say 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 there's a you know, a, a, a kid listening or, a, you know, a young adult in his, you know, 18s, 20s, patriotic, whether American patriotism or Indonesian or German or whatever, you know, and he wants to be in service of his country, um, but he doesn't want to do things unjustly or, or aren't fair, or aren't really for the betterment of the country. Do I mean, is, is do you see that the U.S. specifically um, benefited directly or indirectly whatsoever from either the Iraq invasion or the Afghani invasion? Um, we, the people didn't. Uh, but of course, you know, they, they talk about Halle Burton and all the other contracts and then the, the, the housing contract for 1.5 billion in Iraq from the Biden family and, you know, all this kind of stuff that, you know, certain industries with certain people make a lot of money from war. I mean, if you think about it, we're still, churning out conventional war weapons, which are completely obsolete, but hey, makes a lot of money. You rub my back, I'll lobby for you, you pay me, you know, that kind of thing. It's just yeah, the way it works. Conventional, I mean, it's sort of like bio war seems like bio warfare seems you're like getting a lot more bang for your buck. I mean a <laughs> virus seems like it does a lot more damage than an invasion and it costs well, you know, a lot less. If you just go over and kill everybody and went with one bomb, then what's the point? You know, that bomb would have to cost an $800 trillion to, you know, to make any money for anybody. I mean, look, I don't, I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I just, in being in politics long, I'm in politics now 15 years, um, you know, being in politics long enough, I know what, why certain politicians do and say what they say. And it's disgusting when I see people on TV or politicians on TV touting this patriotism bullshit when you know they're getting paid and they're, they're, they're only in that position because they're saying what they're saying. It's, but, you know, it's all, all marketing. Well, of course it is. 
it's all about the pro you know hey you know america we are the world's you know leaders and blah, we're the best country in the world i hate when someone says that what do you mean we're the best country in the world in what way you know i mean i remember i remember when i was a kid it's like eat your food people in china are starving and now in china they're saying eat your food people in america are starving you know it's like <laughs> you know what i mean are we better i don't know do you think uh speaking of you got 10 minutes yeah uh, do you think, speaking of China, do you think that COVID-19, uh, was made in a lab? And if so, it was intentionally released or, or escaped? There we go. Um, and this is, this is why it's good to stay anonymous. I think COVID-19 is just another, you know, um, Corona virus, just like all the other coronaviruses that we all have in our bodies anyway. So like the and, annual flu virus, basically. Yeah. And if we, if anyone thinks that a vaccine is going to help, and that one's enough, they're sadly mistaken. Look at the flu vaccine. It had, we had, what, for 50 years? Every year it's a new vaccine, and most of the time they get the wrong strain, and then they end up vaccine, you know, giving you a vaccine for the wrong strain. So, I mean, uh, for me, um, I think if, if, you look at the, if you look at the testing compared to the, the positivity rate, compared to the mortality rate, right now in Sweden, between April and October, you have a 30 times, not 30%, a 30 times less mortality rate than you did in April. And that's if you take the numbers for what they are. And in Germany, it's 10 times less. But you have more cases because there's more testing. So when you do more cases and more testing, but you don't compare it to the positivity and the mortality rate, you're just saying fake numbers. So, of course, if, if I have 100 people from 500 that are positive that I tested, and then I test 5,000, how many positives am I going to have? You see what I mean? It's like duh. 10 times increase. Yeah. Exactly. So so in a really yeah. simple, a really simplistic way of saying it, you're saying the reason it seems like it's such an outbreak is because more people are being tested. Where exactly. if any other year before this year, if this many people were being tested, they would find this many t people with, with that year's coronavirus. Exactly. Or flu or whatever it is. And that's the whole point is that you got to look at the mortality rate. It's 0.03% for people under 50. 0.003%, I think, or something like that. It's ridiculous. It's less than getting hit by a flying elephant. You know what I mean? It's, it's, it's seriously, you can literally, the, the chance of you getting, uh, what was it? Struck by lightning or hit by a car or something coconut. like that. Coconut. It's the co coconut, the falling coconut. Yeah. That's, you know, that's it's the... higher than getting Corona and dying, I mean, sorry, dying from Corona. I had it. You know, I had it. I felt like shit, but I always feel like shit when I get the flu. So it didn't bother me. <laughs> Like it didn't feel any different. It wasn't like this is a different kind of feeling like shit. It was, no, just, like like, shit. It was just it was just the flu. Yeah, or whatever you want to. I don't want to say it's the flu. It's the same as the flu. Obviously, the coronavirus is real because it's been around for how many years? But did you know there was a, a scientist in America in, in Germany? This is fascinating. I found out last week from one of my one of the doctors that I talked to in politics that he said that no scientist has ever on the on the, in the history of the planet seen a virus in a microscope or actually identified a real virus. It's only theory. I was like, come on. He goes, no. Yeah, come on. And, and he was like, no, no. I put out a reward of 100,000 euros if anyone could show me proof of a virus in a microscope. And so this guy came up, this other doctor came up with two studies. And he submitted them. And he said, I'm not paying you because that's not proof. So they took it to court. It went to the Supreme Court for this guy to get his money. And the Supreme Court ruled that he could not prove that there was viruses. So there's actually a legal ruling in Germany that no one can prove that viruses exist. Boom. You know what I mean? Obviously they're there, but no one's ever seen it. Like, oh, look, there's a virus. So, so there's no visual confirmation under a microscope. Yeah, exactly. Isn't that crazy? 
that crazy? I was like, get out. He's like, yeah, let's, yeah, man. So, obviously, they exist. You know how? Well, maybe not so obviously. I mean, if you yeah, can't yeah. see it, right? Um, so, so, so you think it's hype? I know it's hype. Look, the, the death rates are going down. They're pushing testing so they can artificially say, oh, my God, look at the rates are exploding. No, the testing is exploding. Right. And then they lock down. They make you wear masks in your car. People are passing out from wearing masks. Right. After 15 minutes, they've done tests and tests and tests and tests, CDC, WHO and German, Germans. And, and after 15 minutes of wearing a mask, your level of CO2 in your blood is toxic. And what that does is it, it creates long-term brain damage that you won't even recognize for the next 10, 20, 30 years, number one. Number two, they've tested the people who wear masks get COVID more often than those who don't wear masks. This is a test by the CDC in America. Look it up. Yeah, but, but their, their logic for that is that the masks aren't to protect the person wearing the mask or protect people that aren't wearing the masks because okay, so the wearing the mask prevents you from spreading the virus. Yeah. I get it. And, and that's fine. But if you're wearing a tissue over your face or a bandana, which, by the way, um, in Europe, some countries, they, they don't allow you. You have to wear a medical mask now. They won't even allow you to wear just a rag or anything. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I get that. But am I, am I supposed to kill myself to protect others? I mean, it's personal responsibility. Personal I just won't get too close to you. I won't spit on you. I won't talk in your direction. I won't sneeze. You know what I mean? It's like, it's personal responsibility. You got to give people the ability to have personal responsibility, but locking down businesses, closing businesses, making, uh, you know, um, uh, let's say abortion clinics, uh, essential, but making health clubs, not essential, you know, like health clubs, that's the best way to boost your immune system. Right. Okay. But there's too many people. Well, there's, there's the cleanest places on the planet. As far as businesses go are restaurants and health clubs, right? Because they have to be clean. They, they, they've been doing hand sanitizer di di dispensers and gyms for 20 years. You know, I mean, it's, it's not like it's a new thing to them. Yeah. Health uh, restaurants. I mean, not all of them, obviously, but restaurants are very sanitary. Yeah, yeah, that's true. There's actually uh, there was a case with a gym in New Jersey and the owners refused to shut down and there was not a single COVID case. Like the percentage of people getting COVID cases outside of the gym was yeah. hundreds of times higher you know, exponentially, yeah. exponential amount of times higher. And the people actually in the gym, there was zero, zero cases. Well, it's because when you're training and you're training at a brisk pace, you're boosting your immune system like nothing else. Yeah. Your testosterone is going up, you're releasing endorphins, your immune system is super boosted. Sex, by the way, also does that as well. It's a super boost for your immune system. Just so you Listen know. up. Yeah. So uh, if you don't want to get COVID, just uh, <laughs> stay busy out there, folks. Um, <laughs> like I hear... I'm not arguing with anything you're saying. It just seems a bit excessive to think that this is a internationally staged, globally organized, multinational reaction in order to create a chain of events. It seems Man, if we had more time, if we had more time I could go into it like, you know, how long ago did you see the first pretty prime minister get elected? Right. So the they first, started changing. The first what? Pretty. Oh, like, like, like aesthetically pleasing, good yeah, looking. Like Justin Trudeau, Macron. Um, I like Jacinta. Jacinta. Yeah. Yeah. You know, they all pretty. Oh, look at that. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my God. They're all from the same bread. They're all from the same school, whatever. I'm not saying there's a conspiracy, or whatever, but I, there is a coordinated effort of the left leaning sort of organizations. Um, I don't believe in that Soros shit or whatever, but I mean, there's just like, there's a, a, a common theme 
in all of these countries are saying the same thing, they're reporting the same thing, and then countries that go against it, like uh, Kolonchenko and White Russia, they're trying to oust him now with a with a with a with a revolution because he refused to lock down. So now suddenly he refused to lock down. He turned down the money. So he was he was offered ninety million dollars from the from the WHO when he said no. The IMF came in and offered him nine hundred million dollars. He said no, and now there's a revolution trying to oust him as a dictator. And this is Belarus, right? No, it's White Russia. Excuse me, where? Vice Russland. I don't know. Maybe, maybe it is Belarus in English. I don't know. Vice Russland. They say it in German. White White Russia. Because I. Shinko's uh, Belarus. Okay, Belarus. Yeah. Well, yeah. in Germany, it's called White Russia. Yeah. <laughs> I thought that yeah. was a mixed drink. No. <laughs> White Russian. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so you know, it's just something like that. When you see these things, and this is and this is this is not something I made up. This was actually an undercover Italian uh, reporter. Uh, who's now gone under, like sort of disappeared, sort of hiding, I guess, who brought this out in the press. And um, it was brought out into the German press for like a day, then it was buried. So, yeah, I know. mean, I can't dispute anything you're saying. All of the parts, the, the, the parts that you're speaking on are all true. I just don't know if the sum of those parts is correct. I don't either. But, but everything I mean, you're saying is true. Yeah, but we're we're all uh, individuals who have a common who have common sense. Yeah, 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 that's it. I'm just gonna say, listen, just listen to the facts. Don't listen to me. Don't listen to you. Just yeah. take the facts and yeah. come to your own conclusions on them. Yeah, I mean, I don't go out and French kiss strangers. Obviously, you know, I'm not gonna take a risk. Well, that's because you, you don't live in France. Know. Well, I mean, I did back in the day, but I don't do that anymore. <laughs> hey, you know, but, each to their own. Um. All right. Well, cool. I'm going to, I'll let you go. I know you've, you're a busy man over there, um, in Europe and you've got things to do. Uh, let's, I want to bring you on for part two sometime in the near future to really get into it. Um, and we'll just, um, you know, have, have that be part two of this, uh, Great. uh of the show with you. And, uh, I appreciate you coming on, man. It's good to see you. I'm glad you're doing well. Uh, give wifey a big hug for me and, yeah. uh, yeah, stay safe, stay healthy, man. All right, brother. Thanks so much, man. I appreciate it. Let's, let's set up number two. I'd love to dig in. For sure. Sounds good, brother. All right, bro. Ciao. All right, peace and love. Well, that was uh, Mr. Mysterious Man, remaining anonymous, ex-U.S. Uh, military, um, now a civilian living in Europe, giving his take on the current state of affairs in our world. Um, I hope you all liked it. If you liked that... Uh, we're going to have him back on in about a month or so. So definitely, uh, definitely stay tuned for that. And, um, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to, uh, an, another episode. Okay. Okay. Real talk stories live from Bali where everybody indeed's got a story until next time. Stay tuned. Stay safe. Stay gold. Peace and love.